You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industry. Now, on with the episode. Okay. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm here with Chris Newton, and Chris is the Vice President of Marketing and Business Development at Intellimize. Prior to Intellimize, he held multiple leadership roles at Influitive, most recently as Chief Revenue Officer and Senior Vice President of Marketing and Sales. Prior to that, he, he led marketing at Exactly, Katera, and M-Factor with a consistent focus on sharing amazing customer stories to drive pipeline growth. Chris was inspired to tackle marketing leadership after leading Siebel's marketing product management teams. In his life before software, Chris was a pilot in the U.S. Navy and earned an electrical engineering degree at Rice University and later an MBA at Harvard. So Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Paris. Uh, love the uh, full intro. That was quite an intro, yeah. Uh, can you tell us, in your own words, a little bit about yourself, who you are, and, and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a uh, you know somewhat rare Bay Area native, born here and, and grew up here. Went away a couple times to to school, but always sort of found my way back one way or the other. Um, you know, I started out as an engineer in undergrad, but you know, joined the Navy and got stationed in my hometown. Even like I just can't get a get away from the Bay Area. How unusual is that? Um, after grad school, ended up in in software and and been there ever since, enjoying different types of roles on you know everything from product management through to the marketing side. Uh, three boys at home, you know, keep me busy and uh, just having a, a great time building companies these days and, and participating wherever I can make an impact. That sounds like a lot of fun. I have been spending quite a bit of time on Intellimize. Am I pronouncing that the right way? Intellimize? Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You could think of intelligent optimization coming together as in, Intellimize. Okay. That's cool, okay. Right? I don't know. We're, yeah, we're doing for websites. Now I, now I get it. It makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Uh, this is this is really phenomenal. So I want to dive right into the product. Um, we as a digital marketing agency have been doing A-B testing for clients for, I don't know, 10 plus years now. And it seems like you are trying to move the market beyond A-B testing. Is that a, is that a fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. We, um, you know, as a marketer, I've tried to do A-B testing before and, if, you know, sometimes you know, dabbled a little bit, but never really took it on full scale. It wasn't uh, going to you know, deliver what I needed fast enough. It wasn't, it was going to be too much work for the teams that I was working on. You went through a couple of companies we had, you know, uh, that I've worked at, we've had, you know, a dozen people on marketing team, but not the, you know, the, the numbers that was really going to require uh, to, to make that a success. And, you know, what I saw with Intellimize, um, you know, when I met the the founders and and talked to them about the product, was that they had come at this a whole different way. You know, with machine learning at at the core, it, it's really a, um, I guess the best way to describe it is it's 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 offering um, you know exponentially more experimentation and personalization. It's everything's at an unprecedented scale because you've handed so much of the 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 work and control to the machine. 
you're still coming up with the ideas, the things that you want to test and and personalize on your site. But as it learns from each individual visitor to the website, the machine gets better and better at serving up the right personalized experience for that individual. And it's something you can never really hope to do with an A-B approach. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know um, how in a marketing team, is this very resource intensive to if uh, if a marketing team is going to transition from A-B testing to a, a machine learning driven solution like yours with full-blown personalization? How, what kind of a team is needed to to maintain something like that? So we have a great model where we blend support from our side with what the client provides. And we've divided up the labor in a way that makes a lot of sense. We There's some tasks that we that we share, like, you know, ideation and strategy and coming up with, hey, what are the things that we want to test on a given site? What sort of experiences might really move the needle? Um, but a lot of the work is taken away. All of the, the managing of the tests and making sure that we've got statistical significance and mating the timing and, and, and so much of that manual tuning is eliminated by the system that we are, uh, you know, able to have less work on, on the team. The other piece I'll point out is part of the services that we offer are those, um, you know, not just the SEO or I mean, um, uh, CRO, conversion rate optimization perspective to, to think about what you could do to improve conversions on your site, but the web development uh, pieces that allow you to bring it to life. So if you have an idea, hey, I want to change the layout or I want to change the way the form looks or is presented or I want to change the order of elements on this page. Most marketers have to go find someone on their web dev side to, to bring in, uh, you know, that coding and, and make that happen on the site. That's something that Intellimize does for our clients and uh, helps speed things up. So we've got a weekly cadence of new ideas, five new ideas a week. Let's get them coded up. Let's see what works. And then on the one that's the best or a couple of those, let's iterate and find new things that works. Because the secret of this is running so many different things through the machine that it can really find the best results as you incrementally, you know, uh, find new winners every time you try new things. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. I assume this requires a lot of data in terms of uh, site traffic. Is that, is that the case? How much, how much traffic does a website need for this to work? You know, it's really not as much as you might think. Um, we like to look at, you know, we say 30,000 unique visitors is a, is a great starting point on a monthly basis. Um, which allows us to work with a lot of B2B sites that might not think that they would have enough traffic for this type of approach. Um, you know, the founders of the company, you know, used to run a, uh, you know, large several hundred person engineering team at Yahoo, where they had built, you know, all this custom machine learning to drive the personalized content on those Yahoo pages when they were the biggest, highest traffic pages on the internet. And through that experience, they learned a lot about these machine learning algorithms and the approaches that would you know, be necessary to enable these things on, you know, to package that, those capabilities up and enable those for other companies. And in fact, work at um, more reasonable traffic levels than the number one site in the world. Mm -hmm. So starting off point, it's about a thousand a day or 30,000 a month uniques. Mm -hmm. um, I want to pivot over to machine learning. This is clearly, this is the hot thing in digital marketing. It has been for a little while. Um, I feel like I I know the concept of machine learning, but do you feel that that your solution is a way for a marketer to to 
start leveraging machine learning when they actually don't have machine learning um, data scientists in their organization? Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to be a machine learning expert to really understand what's going on. There's a couple different approaches that you see to, to machine learning. Most common, I think, are, uh, and w- what many of us are familiar with is, you know, you, you start with, it's, it's more like a, it can feel like a data scientist for hire type of thing, right? You've got a whole bunch of data over here and you know that you had some results and you can look at that data and the data scientist can build a model that uses that data to predict those outcomes that ultimately came up with. And that's building mm-hmm. a model and you can, you know, train it and tune it on that, that data set. And then as you can deploy that model and use it. And, and often this is used to identify a, a segment you know, or predict that someone may be in a segment and therefore there's going to be a rule that says if they're in this segment, then do this thing. Um, machine learning is a flavor of, of AI that that is a little more sophisticated and that we don't have that upfront model building. We start learning from the first visitor that comes to the site and we look at the, the options that are available and what was presented to them and the data that we had about them and we see what they do. And we learn based upon the conversions or the, you know, the successes that we see on the site, which things are working. Um, and over time, as you get more visitors, you start to get um, better and better intelligence that this type of thing works for this type of person. As you look at different types of data, uh, behavioral data, like what pages they've been to on the site, contextual data, um, you know, are they, uh, what kind of platform are they on? Or, you know, where, what's their location? Um, you know, time of day, day a week even can make a difference. Um, and even sometimes there's there's demographic, firmographic information that's available to you. Um, we see this a lot with the uh, the B2B customers that we have. And you may know there's a an intent signal or a type of technology that's in use on their site. And those things might then clue you in, clue that machine in that it's going mm-hmm. to present certain types of experiences on the website that are going to work for that person to drive the conversions that you've told it to optimize for. Does that it make sense? Does. It makes absolute sense. And I want to hang on to that point about enrichment because I did uh, check out the webinar on your website and I noticed that you highlighted in the last part in the case studies that you highlighted segment. And mm-hmm. and this is, uh, to, to my understanding, this is, among other things, it's a tool that can enrich data. And when a, when a website visitor comes in, um, it can it can provide a much richer data set, so you don't necessarily need all those form fields anymore because you can you can determine things like what company they're working for, um, location, and and other things. So I'm curious to know the level relative level of sophistication among your client base because also in that webinar I saw that uh, let me just open open those notes here that there there is a few different types of personalization, starting with the very basic structural stuff like navigation, or maybe it could be a a placement of a button or a color of a CTA button. Moving on to messaging, where you're starting to test headlines and copy, perhaps you're testing even their different uh, images and UX. Mm -hmm. And then for me, really the most interesting is journey personalization, which I understand that as trying to actually construct uh, the the path to conversion with the least amount of friction and to try to, to try to optimize the actual steps to conversion. So maybe, I don't know, maybe some people always go through the pricing page or something else, but you actually control what's step one, what's step two, what's step three, maybe before a conversion. So of your, of your customers, 
how many how many are still just doing the basics and how many of your customers are really going to the advanced level and doing real journey personalization um so i i'll be honest i don't have numbers or metrics that kind of break it down that way but what i can tell you is that we're looking at all three of those categories remember i said we meet weekly with each customer and that's led that session's led by a cro expert and they're talking to the customer about hey what are the things that we want to do um, to evaluate and uh, you know on this page to test and see if that works better and there may just be some obvious things like hey we sell into these three key verticals let's mm-hmm. do something on the home page that would speak better to those folks if we can identify that they might be a, a, a member and if you're using a solution um, you know you have a data source maybe a you know a clear bit you know is, is one that people have mm-hmm. used um, to help identify where somebody, what company somebody might work for, you can do that. Like that might be the first idea. We also have in the in the solution a uh, an analytics capability. We call it user journey analytics. And you can look at what are the most likely flows through the site, you know, from the point they enter to the point they leave. You can also, you know, start from where they enter to a, a particular conversion point. And you can say, okay, for the people that have converted, what were the mm-hmm. paths that they took? And what yeah. we're looking for is, you know, commonalities and where are the big drop off drop off points? Where do we lose people? Let's say it's an e-commerce site and you've got people that are coming in and, you know, okay, they see the homepage, they're getting to the right category page and they're not getting to the product page or to get to, you know, even to put something in the cart. So let's look at those category pages. What can we do to optimize those pages that drive people to move things either directly to the cart or to get them to that more detailed product page that will then get that uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the cart conversion that we're looking for. Um, and it's that view of that overall user journey um, mm-hmm. and where the the gaps and the drop-offs and fall-offs are that really help us identify what sort of experimentation, personalization we ought to be considering for that mm-hmm. particular site. And Not we're doing that with, with all of our customers. I think that the consulting component that you're offering is really critical in my view, because you're you're keeping the momentum and you're giving, you're really feeding those clients with the ideas, the constant ideas, ideas that they need. And I think that's, I think without that, um, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work as well in, in my view, because you all are really have seen, cause you, you can see across all the customers that certain types of tests are probably proven to have success, such as if you enrich something and you can get company name and you put company name in the headline, you get X percent lift on average in, in e-commerce. You probably have those stats and you can actually leverage that to benefit your individual customers. So I think that consulting is, is really great. I'm curious as to how you're, uh, how you're pricing the service also, because I've seen other CRO tools and, and uh, optimization tools generally in this category using a value add pricing. Do you all do that? Uh, our approach to pricing is is generally based upon the, the the size of the traffic and the number of sites. You know, when we work with a, you know, an organization like Dermalogic is in six countries, and so we're managing those different sites, and so that's larger. That gets you know more expensive to do it. We're um, we've got those weekly meetings and sessions and so on that I'm describing time you know for each of those countries, um, and so that's the general approach. We don't have a a value add pricing model today, although that's a you know an exciting thing that we might investigate down the road um, where that were to make sense. I also want to go back and speak a little bit to your initial point on 
uh, you know, the learnings and things that we see across uh, different um, customers and how we can take that. I think it's absolutely true that we get some insights into the types of things you want to play around with and experiment with and see if they work for you. Um, the unfortunate news for marketers is there's no one answer. Like this stuff doesn't work. In fact, we had one, one customer webinar, um, you know, just at the end of last year where, uh, you know, the marketer was explaining, we had this great success in, in the UK and we were able to translate that into our site in Germany. And we took that into France, nothing worked. Like the market, every, it made exact opposite. Whatever worked here was not going to work there because of the way the buyers in that country were interacting with the site and the way they were using it. You needed, you needed to run different experiments and figure out different things and what was going to work for that region. So I'm sorry, mm -hmm. there's still like universal yeah, nuggets. That makes Always sense. This, but yeah. you know. Well, once you said once you said Europe, that that was enough for me. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I uh, the the users across different European markets are quite quite different, and and we've seen that too. I'm also uh, curious to know, Chris, how common is it for people to use Intellimize for homepage optimization versus landing pages for paid campaigns? Well, I think both are very common for us. You know, on an e-commerce site, a lot of times the homepage is where they get the most traffic and you're going to have, you know, steer people towards that, you know, ultimate shopping cart destination, uh, you know, with B2B organizations, uh, you know, Drift is a great example where they've done some stuff on the homepage, but for them, their most important web page out there is arguably they're powered by page. So everybody's familiar with the Drift chatbot you may have seen on different sites. And if you look at it and you're not really sure what that is, there's a little, you know, powered by Drift. And for anyone that clicks through there, they're going to go to a particular landing page that the Drift has that, helps explain what this is all about and the service that they offer and let you think about if you might want to consider that for your own website. So that page has to really rock for those guys to get the kind of um, conversions that they need. And so it, it depends on your business, where the traffic is, where you can make an impact. In that case, the things that we were able to do with them ultimately led to, a, it's a fantastic case study, there was a 322% increase in, in leads to sales based upon the things that they did on that page. They were, we can't control what happens in the drift bot, but if you've got multiple bots that are available, we can help select which one gets uh, presented to a given visitor. Um, and so they were able to selectively identify traffic that was more likely to be high value and needed to be routed towards a sales conversation versus traffic that should be better off served with a, a self-service approach to onboarding and, and trial and testing that product. So those kind of things can, right, right. you know, we work now through this is, companies. Yeah. We we focus a lot on SaaS businesses, and to me, this is this is the gold for a SaaS business is to identify a user, and figure out what what level of sales touch is required. Anywhere from a low a no touch, fully automated self serve approach, where we just want to get you into a free trial or a freemium product right away without a salesperson, all the way to the other side of the spectrum where oh it's we want to request a demo and, and we want to get you onto a sales call, and then there's things in between. To me, that's where the real power is because you don't want to you don't want to waste limited sales resources with people who are not really qualified to buy. So if you can identify those people by certain signals, um, and and maybe that's a, a customized form on the site. It could happen in a chatbot as well. In the case of Drift, if you can then steer them to the appropriate self serve, you can still um, you can still convert them in the in the most appropriate way with a low touch model. And then if they have signals indicating high value, maybe it's because of, of a company that's enriched data, 
or something else in a form, then it's time to go to uh, to a, a sales a sales touch. So that's really yeah, interesting. It's it, it's interesting. It's not just that. Um, it, you're, it's kind of back to your point about the buyer journey. It, and the, there's the journey on the website, but there's also the journey with your company. And how are you thinking about, you know, optimizing that and improving that? Um, we think about the quality of that experience and also the quality of the lead. So there's things that we can do that'll that'll take the less qualified leads and send them on a different path. You know, another one of our customers was Looker, and they spoke at a, a serious decisions conference. Um, back when we used to have those <laughs> uh, in big, big events, at, you know, the summit. And I remember those. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, that was amazing. And, and they talked about a 44% increase in, you know, sales accepted leads based upon the enhancements. The part they didn't mention as much was there's actually fewer leads. Like we had reduced the total number of leads going, but in, uh, to the sales team, but increased the quality. So they're getting less of what they don't want and more of what they do want. And all of that was, by able by being able to understand the those journeys on the site and the things the way people were interacting with the site and and what were those uh, you know signals and, and conversions that were worth the most you know you would think the the requested demo well that's the gold standard that's what everybody wants but in their case it turns out you know the people that downloaded this one white paper around evaluating Looker versus MicroStrategy I think it was were the highest value folks and and identifying that and figuring out that they're the ones that we want to drive through, um, you know, more rapidly directly on their journey to sales, uh, you know, was a powerful learning. One of the, the benefits of optimization is you can actually have multiple goals that you're optimizing for. We want the demo requests. We also want these ebook downloads that I just described in this case, and you can set different weighted values for each of those. So the system can optimize for a bunch of things, but pay the most attention to the things that you care about the most. That's great. Chris, my next question is about account-based marketing, ABM. And my uh, understanding is that this is steadily becoming more and more popular. And there's some, there's some great tools. And as the, as the marketing tech stack evolves, uh, sales, sales engagement tools um, are, getting, are getting sharper and sharper and empowering. Also, another form of personalization at scale, uh, which is around account-based marketing. Can you discuss how uh, this this web personalization will evolve and then and become part of ABM campaigns? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, <laughs> there, there's always a little bit of a, a fine line in you know personalization. You can over personalize and enter kind of that creepy realm a little bit. So there, mm-hmm. we may know that you are from you know say uh, IBM on our site here today, but if we put up a banner that says "Welcome IBM" and start and dive right in into that, we have to be cautious a little bit on how we do those things because you can you you can take it too far but i think mm-hmm. you know your abm campaigns are t- traditionally you know very integrated multi element campaigns and so there's going to be emails there might be a direct mail there's probably some targeted advertising that they're seeing they may be getting um uh, emails or linkedin emails from you know bdrs and sdrs on your team the website offers one more opportunity, one more channel to integrate with those messages that they're seeing in these other locations um, and, and maintain that brand consistency and messaging for that that customer. Um, and so we think it's a great opportunity for people to uh, expand and extend what they're doing already. Naturally, you want to do the things that I was talking about before, where you're already kind of personalizing 
by vertical and those things. But ABM offers you the ability to take it, you know, kind of one step further. Um, Depending upon how you, uh, you know, ABM means different things to different people. My favorite first question on ABM when someone says they're, you know, they do an ABM, I'll say, how many how many customers or prospects are in your ABM? And sometimes they'll tell you ABM program, and sometimes they'll tell you five, and sometimes they'll tell you 5,000. And those are very mm-hmm. different programs, right? You know, mm-hmm. if you're running an ABM program for, uh, you know, for five different companies, you know, let's say um, Nike is one of those companies that you're going after and you've got a great uh, success in one small part of that business. And you'd like to expand greatly into other divisions and, and, and uh, elements of that empire and ABM strategy might be uh, include having some sort of a, uh, you know, focused webinar just for people for that company to hear the story that they're, you know, the, the single successful department is, is achieving and how you would grow from there. Um, those kind of things, you know, you then can promote that on, on your website and, and other ways in a way that only those folks would see Um it just, it's just, it's a little bit of a dial. How focused, how far do you want to take it for each of these accounts? Gotcha. Chris, do you all work with agencies or have any sort of an agency partnership program? We don't have a formal program at this point, but we do work with a bunch of agencies. We will have um, agencies that are, you know, in, you know, parallel supporting our customers on their, uh, you know, at their location. And sometimes those agencies are doing things that are, um, you know, directly supportive in the same realm. So they're, they're providing, you know, CRO training to, uh, you know, some of the clients so that they learn a little bit more about what's possible and helps them in their ideation conversations. We, we can guide them and come up with ideas, but if our partner on the client side has more of that expertise, they, uh, you know, and that agency is helping them come up with, with better ideas then we're really, it's one step ahead. You know, the, the success mm-hmm. here is a combination of great machine learning, but also great ideas um, that can, that can you know, go into the machine and, and really make this, this come together. We also see agencies working to help with copy and creative and, and some of the, the things that we don't necessarily provide as part of our services. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that these are relationships are only going to grow over time as we continue to, to build things out. And we may have a more formal program, you know, in the, in the not too distant future. I hope so. Uh, we'll be one of the first ones to sign up for that. We'll definitely have like, to talk about that after. Uh, great. I'd like to pivot now over to some of your own marketing, some of mm-hmm. your own marketing initiatives, because I've done a little bit of research into uh, organic search traffic and paid search traffic and and I've been uh, checking out the blog, for example. Could you give me a broad overview of how you all are are generating leads at Intellimize? Yeah, well, I think it's, you know, the, the secret of marketing, I think all of us know, is it's never just one thing. There's a basket of things that are going on all at the same time, kind of self-reinforcing. We are, you know, no different in that regard. And, uh, you know, for us, there's a, a you know word of mouth and referrals are tremendous. It's kind of top of the list um, in in my mind in terms of uh, you know high quality and 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 actually in recent quarters that has been one of our larger sources. So uh, you know starting with a real focus on customer success and making those those folks um, you know get tremendous value out of your solution 
leads to this type of behavior, helps your pipeline, but also creates those stories that help encourage other people uh, to try some of the same things. So I always mention that at the top. You know, when you have successful customers, I'm always a better marketer. I've noticed. Yeah, um, and, and you all are like in such a, that a lot. You're in such a great position because you're measuring lift, and you can demonstrate. You you said 322 percent for drift. I mean, that's that's incredible. I guess that means more than three times more uh, relevant ch- uh, chat conversations being initiated. Um, I know that that concept of lift probably means different things to different people based on their conversion types. Yeah. But when you have that, um, it's very hard to, it's very hard to argue when you can say here, 41% that these are the numbers. Yeah. 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 The exact measurement of lift may be a little, you know, may vary from one to another. We're talking about conversion lift. So in the goals, the conversion goals that were set for the, the machine, we're looking at, you know, how much those were increased relative to what they're seeing on the base site. So, you know, I was blown away when I first saw this product because I, you know, what are there, 10,000 MarTech products out there or something today, right? And so I've never seen one where you log into and on the dashboard, literally at the top of the page for a campaign, it'll say in the last 30 days, you've received, you know, 1,153 incremental conversions and it's worth $454,000 to your organization. And those numbers are based upon a comparison of what's going on with the base site traffic, right? What would happen if none of these personalized experiences were run versus for all the visitors that got a a tailored experience for for them, what kind of conversions were driven there? And and that tells us what the lift was relative to the starting point static website. And just Mm -hmm. seeing that when you log in, it drives us to be totally aligned with our customers. Like we're all looking for those numbers to go the right direction, keeps our conversations focused and, and helps us tell these stories, um, you know, as we do, as you, as you pointed out. Chris, is there a, is there a point at which things start to plateau after a while? I mean, after you've run a certain amount of tests and you finally, you really, at some point, how much lift can you get if you've really tested exhaustively? Do you see any plateauing and is that well, is that at all so, a factor for you all i think that that could happen if if the world stopped changing and people stopped changing right you know you might see some of these plateaus but what we see is you know companies enter new markets or they go after new segments or they launch new products or they um you know there's a shift in the world dynamic people suddenly are working from home instead of in the office stores are closed and they've got to go through online channels as these changes happen, the, the behavior on the site changes. And, and of course, there's typical seasonality that we see all the time. And the way people react to, a, um, say, a Black Friday event with one of our e-commerce customers this year could be fundamentally different than what we saw last year. But we know it's going to be different than what they were doing three weeks ago before that big you know, sales event was coming up. And so in that sense, it's never, you know, it, it always makes sense to keep testing and and iterating and improving. And sometimes there's things that that we learn that are, are step changes and we want to bake those into the base site and and have that be part of that core experience for everybody. Um, and that's a nice step change forward, but it doesn't mean that we can't improve from there going forward. At least that's been yeah. our experience. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm just checking out the blog now and, and I'm also looking at the organic traffic, at least according to the Ahrefs. Um, and it appears it's it's around a hundred or so per month, but I see that the blog is very active. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about the 
the content marketing strategy? Yeah, so we are, um, I, we have, we're a small team today. We are eager mm -hmm. to, you know, develop more content and share great ideas and get things out there. We found that, you know, webinars or podcasts like this are a great way to do that. Um, you know, when COVID was first impacting businesses, we did a whole series in the blog on what we were seeing across our company uh, customer base in terms of changes in website traffic and conversion rates. And how did this vary by, you know, B2B or e-commerce or different verticals or by platforms, mobile and laptop and, and so on. Um, mm -hmm. But the overall strategy is to just be helpful and provide useful information for folks that might be um, something that they can take away and learn from. And we just help to uh, build on that and, and develop it. You know, you asked about channels that work. Organic search is one that we've been looking at and, and um, working on for a while to improve our ability to, to rank well and be found. And, and that's something that's increasing. And when I think about campaign success, everything for me comes back to um, measuring in terms of building pipeline for sales. I'm responsible for passing leads, setting up meetings for the sales guys to meet new customers. We've got great conversion rates once we get those going and a real high bar for what qualifies. But when we um, have a tactic or a program that drives more of those, you know, that's something I'm interested in, in investing in more. And, and organic traffic has been has been only growing for us steadily. Yeah. Over on the paid side, I also took a look uh, using SEM Rush at some of the some of the paid keywords. Mm -hmm. And not surprisingly, I think you, it, this is a, a quite a clever approach. I see a lot of competitor names like Optimizely, VWO. How's that going on the paid side? So we're, you know, we're definitely newer to the paid search and paid social ads, and we're running a lot of experiments at this point. We're focused on learning what works, um, and, you know, and over time we'll refine and, and optimize that as we go forward. Um, I think one of the, you know, the, if you go back to kind of our, you know, core positioning, you know, we, we'll talk about the website being more important than ever in today's virtual world. And we have a revolutionary approach to website optimization. And we're seeing tremendous results that we could back up with these customer stories. And all of this is, you know, it's not just better in terms of results, but it's faster and a lot less work than these traditional approaches. And so people are thinking about A-B testing. They may be even like I used to feel guilt for not doing more A-B testing on my site. And those are some of the words and, and terms that they search for. We want to get in front of those folks and ed educate them. Hey, there's a better way. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> pull your head up and take a look at this other opportunity because we think we can drive a lot more value again with better, faster, with less work than you might be looking at. Should you take on a, a more traditional approach with a, an AB model? Yeah. Could you do personalization based on the user's advertising touch points? So if somebody, let's say there's a journey where somebody clicked on a Facebook ad mm -hmm. after watching a video, um, that triggers them into a research process, which leads them to Google. They do a non-branded search on Google and they, they click through. And then later they're going to do a branded search after they build some familiarity. This is a pretty common B2B SaaS advertising journey that, that we see. It's brand awareness and then it's researching with non-branded keywords and then later re uh, researching or Googling the brand terms and converting. Can you do personalization based on the the person's advertising history in any way? So let me talk a little bit about, you know, our, the personalization, the, the way our system is working is we are basically 
intercepting that page at the time that it's being painted for the visitor. And, and based on the data that's available there in the browser, we may mm -hmm. determine that the, the machine learning may determine that one or more of these different customized, personalized experiences should be run on the page for that visitor. Um, the data that's available there in the browser can come from a lot of different places. It can come from the traffic source. So, so to the extent that they came from an ad that had the right URL parameters, um, UTM parameters that help us understand what type of message they saw on what channel, and we can provide that to the machine. Of course, it can use that to ensure consistent messaging on the website or landing page you know, where they appear. Um, we also have integrations that allow us to do things like um, if you're on a particular Marketo list, let's say, um, and we, we, you've been put on that list because of past engagement and other advertising campaigns or, or right. uh, mm -hmm. things like that, other pr prior downloads on the site or whatever that might be. That's information that we can make available um, mm -hmm. to drive some of the personalization on the site. And so, uh, you know, one of the conversations that we have very often with clients is, you know, what, and it's always a hypothesis, what data might be available or could we make available to the browser that could help it make more intelligent decisions. You know, we're, again, just to be clear, we're not writing rules. If this, then show that. Like that's the traditional approach to personalization. But we do think about eligibility. So if someone is coming from this market, let's make them eligible to see this that, that we think would be appropriate to that vertical. And let the machine decide if that's a good thing to show them or not. Maybe mm -hmm. one of the other, uh, other options for that are, are actually better. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's really exciting when you think about the integration with marketing automation. You mentioned Marketo, and mm -hmm. I was thinking about lead scoring because you know, we, we, we've discussed that with some clients about different lead scoring methodologies. But certainly, as the lead score increases and the lead becomes warmer, if you can feed that lead score into a, a, a system like Intellimize, then you can adapt the, the content that they see in the, in the journey or the experience based on how warm they are. So someone who's very warm, who's had several touches, and maybe that includes advertising touch points as well, but also previous interactions with content like webinars or downloads. Um, then you can, you can decide uh, what is the appropriate message to somebody who is really, really warm. It's probably that, hey, it's, uh, it's really time now to, to have a, a conversation. Whereas if it's if someone's first ever uh, visit for a first time visitor, there's no information. Maybe the lead score is zero. Uh, maybe you take a, an entirely different approach and you don't want to push as hard with a, with a request demo conversion in that case. Yeah. Maybe you just want to let them play around with something. Or you recognize um, they're a current customer and you have a whole different kind of approach that you, you want to share. But yeah, to yeah. your point, if you know they're yeah. on the hot lead list, let's tell that to the machine and let the machine decide, is there something with that, you know, based on that information, you know, do they behave differently? Is there something different that they should be seeing? Because when the next person comes in, that's also on that list, um, we'll be ready to go with that with a better mm -hmm. answer. Yeah, excellent. Well, um, yeah, this has been great. Uh, I I think I'm I'm out of questions at this point about about the tool and the marketing. Uh, it seems like you guys are really poised to. To, to have explosive growth. I, I think machine learning really is, part, it's one of the foundational bedrock principles of the, of digital marketing and what's coming. And I think machine learning, I'm just seeing it more and more baked into, into everything in our space. And so uh, this, this is really exciting. And I think that's a, it's a great journey that, that you're on, I'm sure. Um, how is it 
maybe we can switch over to to some personal on the personal side. Uh, and so you mentioned at the beginning that you you were born in the Bay Area and, and never seemed to, uh, even with a very very wide set of experiences, Navy and, and business school and software companies, you've always hovered around that area. What what type of what type of things do you do um, to relax, or what kind of hobbies do you have? Um, you know, I'm a swimmer. I swim, and you know, through high school, played water polo. Uh, and so we'd love to go down to the high school and, and swim. I've been frustrated during the pandemic that it's been closed for that that morning. And so I had to switch over and we got one of these, uh, you know, in-home spin bikes and uh, mm-hmm. have been doing that. So I'd love to get up in the morning, get a workout in. And, uh, you know, it's a beautiful area for hikes on the weekend. So finding ways to get out and about, particularly when we're yeah. we're locked indoors, are, are great for me. I'm a, I'm a swimmer too. Actually, I only started a few years ago. I had a good mm-hmm. swim right right before right before this, and luckily they opened the they reopened the pool about a month ago here in Bulgaria. Is every I guess all of the gyms are still closed where you are? I, I presume, huh? Well, they're not closed. They're more uh, you know they'll be outdoor open, so they'll have you know tents outside with with, with things like that you know going. You know, the problem for me, the pool is actually open. I mean, there's really no better place to be in COVID. You're getting immersed in a bath of chlorine, <laughs> disinfecting you know, so your entire workout, right? Um, mm-hmm. But what's happened is one of the uh, the local the, the, the local swim team has uh, two sites. They use the junior college and the high school. They both got great big 50-meter pools, and, and uh, the junior college is totally closed. So all of the kids are over at the high oh, school, okay. and they've taken that morning slot so that they can swim before school, which means the adults swim is what I'm supposed to be working. And that's kind of awkward. So I don't get to go. Uh, that's too bad. What I'm curious, what's your, what's your typical swim workout routine? We typically do about 3,500 yards. Um, and you know, there's a kind of, it's not really a master's group, but they'll, you know, there's a coach on deck and they'll give you a workout and you'll, uh, um, work through, you know, sets. I can't just swim straight through or I'll go nuts, but you'll have, um, you know, different, things. I'm actually the slowest swimmer in my family. There's five of us. My wife swam in college, NCAA trophy kind of thing. I only swam one year in college, um, but we do pretty well there in the morning. Oh, that's great. 3,500 yards. I'm, I'm thinking in meters, but that's that's over three kilometers, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, it is. I think I want to say it's 3,200 if I remember right, but it's, it's about, that's a really good swim. Wow. Yeah, yeah so good. you must be you must be in the pool for an hour plus or something, huh? Yeah, about an hour, hour fifteen, something like that. Excellent. Yeah, well, that's great, um, Chris. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate you spending the time with me. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like our audience to to know? I don't know. I think we covered a bunch of you know a bunch of things here. We did, uh, you know, we feel like we're on a great path here. We're excited about what we can do. We love the transparency about the results that we have with the clients and just eager to uh, grow and build from here. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, uh, congratulations on the success so far. I'm going to be watching you all closely, eagerly awaiting the agency program. I hope to see that popping up uh, at some point in the future uh, because i uh, love love to be able to uh, to to have a way to really offer this and, and work with our clients with this. So, and I, and I presume a lot of CRO agencies out there as well would be really eager for that. So I guess with that, Chris, we can wrap up. I really appreciate the, the time and, and have a great, uh, great rest of the day out there. 
I will. Thanks for inviting me. It's been great having a good chat. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about SaaS growth marketing, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P, dot online. Have a great day.